Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's do this thing. On a Wednesday, we're Grant and Danny. You are listening to The Fan. It is March 1st. 2023. Nice show planned for you. Jahan Dotson, stud young wide receiver with your commanders, joins us in one hour at 3 o'clock. We're giving away a four-pack of Caps tickets at 4 o'clock. And former Pro Bowl linebacker in the NFL, K.J. Wright, stops by at 5. We will discuss what it's like to be in the NFL Combine with him. Danny, how are you? Very well, my friend. Doing very well. It's uh, It's weird. When there's no like huge breaking Dan Snyder news or you know borderline criminal activity, you feel a little bit of withdrawal. I'm hoping any minute now something else comes out, a major to do regarding the sale or some impropriety by the old and battle owner. In the meantime, though, we might actually get to talk about some sports today. I'll allow it. That would be a lot of fun. There is a ton going on. The combine, as I mentioned, taking place in Indianapolis as we close in on the draft. We're a couple of weeks away from the start of the NFL league year. The NHL trade deadline is drawing closer. The Capitals are having a full-on sell-off. The Nats are playing an actual televised spring training game as we speak, which never happens. So there's a lot of good in the sports world. It's happening. Caps are wheeling and dealing? Yeah, we'll get into that in a second. Real quick, non-sports. Today, I had to go buy a new charger for my laptop. Uh Yesterday was the day. This happens to me about every six months where I just plug in my laptop. And for some reason, the charger stops working. I want to know if anyone else has this problem. Do you? Are you familiar with this? Yes. I so, actually have floated the idea to my wife that companies purposefully have these things stop working as soon as possible so that I have to go buy them. Do you know how much this charger cost me today? 40 bucks. Up. 50? Up. 70? Up. 90? $95. Oh, no. I buy these things once or twice a year. Where did the last one break? <laughs> Where did it go wrong? Did, did, did something go wrong? There's no breaking. Interesting. It's plugged in and working at night. And then, and then it's while not. While I'm watching Netflix, I get here the next day and plug it in, and it doesn't work anymore. Plug it into as many outlets as I can. There's just, it's it's nothing. It's gone. I, I do believe, by the way, I, I've got all sorts of, like, dad conspiracy theories about stuff like this, where 
you know, the, the inner workings of these incredible machines and the processors and these semiconductors and this and that and all the, the static RAM and all that kind of stuff, I think that's real. I think those things are awesome. I think the way they make their money is the tiny little part right here, GP, on my on my correct Apple power brick. See this just this little tiny edge right here that where the where the thin part of the wire comes out that's eventually going to go into the computer? That breaks. That just frays every now and again because it's shoddily made because it's it, like this thousands of dollars worth of machinery is it needs this little plastic piece of crap to so, work and it's just like printer cartridges cost a million like printers are free basically but printer cartridges cost a trillion bucks i think i've probably gone through if i had to guess and it's not something i like write down and keep track of but i've had this computer for a few years i would say four or five chargers mm-hmm. where this happens or just stops working i'll go get a new charger and it's way more expensive than i want it to be and then i, I don't think about it for a few months my point is if I've had five of these things and we're closing in on them being worth a hundred bucks, yep. that's like half of a new laptop. Exactly. Just in chargers. Even phone chargers now. When you go buy a nice one at the store, those cost forty or fifty bucks. Depending on where you're getting it and what it is. But if you go like I have sadly made the transition to iPhone as a droid guy. You know, <clears> I'm a big droid guy. If I go into an Apple store or something and buy, hey, let me get the best charger you got for this phone and I hand go. it to him. Uh, okay, sir. It's like forty six bucks I yeah. bet. They're no joke. It's crazy, man. That's that's. I really do believe that. I think that's where companies make their money in, in so many different circumstances. Like you think about, uh, I'm a, a PlayStation guy, for example. The actual cost to make a PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5, I don't know how much money they make on that. I think they make money by selling you the games and different firmware and, and all that other kind of stuff, right? Like to, to keep you hooked on the product, just to get you into the ecosystem. Have you ever shopped over in Pentagon City, not at the mall, but at the little center across from the mall where the Best Buy is? I never have, actually. I don't know how anyone does that. It was the most confusing process in the world. You're parking, but you have to get a ticket, and then you're paying three bucks to go buy your charger, even though uh, you're only there for six minutes. Mm-mm. You're walking into this like construction-laden area, and you're walking through weird hallways. There's a weird path. There's, there's a like, fire alarm going cones. off somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, there's Best Buy. And when you get in, it's just a normal Best Buy experience, which is good. It's great. I but then you think there. you go, did everyone else do this too? Did everyone else go through what I just did to get here? I, that is exactly my thought. Yeah. How is anyone functioning? And there's a bunch of people I'm walking past who are going to Costco who are just, it's Wednesday and they need milk. This is how people get their milk? This process? You do this? Can I, I assure you it can be so much better. Follow me. I'll show you. Come to the food line where I live, where there's a parking lot and, and there's no paying for parking. I don't know. I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is... For me, I won't do this again, hopefully, for nine months, right? I've got to buy a new charger. I need to do it on my way to work. I might have to stop by. But if some person is there just shopping because it's Wednesday, there's a better way, my friend. There is a better way. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do this to yourself. Uh, Nets game right now. One thing worth noting is that James Wood is playing today. Their best prospect. One of the centerpieces who came over in the Juan Soto deal. This is the kid who was in Fredericksburg with the Fred Nats last summer a couple of times. I went down and watched him, talked a lot about him on the show. One of the best prospects in all of baseball. Some of the outlets are ranking him now in their top five, top ten overall uh, among every player in the minor leagues. He is a a unicorn, man. He is massive. He can run. Uh, He can hit for both power and average. And the hope is if he reaches his ceiling, he could be an MVP caliber player in Washington who could be the next superstar here with the Nationals. That's easier said than done. There's sure. a lot of work to do still. But 
you have to essentially have the the tools. Yeah, do you have a starter kit or not? To, to build the machine. Right. He's got everything that you would look for, and they haven't had a guy like that in the system in several years. Yeah, in order to, in order to make Michelangelo's David, you need to start with the marble block, right? And he's the marble block. He's got all the things that you would want to be able to make the great statue. Things could go wrong, right? It, he starts getting nagging injuries or, you know, it doesn't, uh, you know, start making consistent contact or, you know, can't hit high fastballs or breaking ball. There's a million things that could happen. But the starter kit there is better than everyone else's starter kit, pretty much. He's he's enticing, man. The Capitals, as Danny mentioned, have still been wheeling and dealing, really up until the last hour as we get closer to the NHL trade deadline. The latest veteran to be moved, the Tiger. Lars mm. Eller is gone. So if you're keeping score of this Capitals sell-off now, they have moved Dmitry Orlov, cup champion, Lars Eller, cup champion, as well as some other guys who have been really, really good for them over the last couple of years. Garnet Hathaway, Eric Gustafson, and Marcus Johansson. A two-stint capital was not a part of the cup team because he left a few years before that. But Orlov, Hathaway, Gustafson, Eller, and Mojo all moved. Now, all of those guys are on expiring deals. We're set to be free agents. So here's what they've done so far. They have traded two months of Orlov, Hathaway, Gustafson, Eller, and Mojo, respectively. Yep. For Rasmus Sandin, who I think is going to be a second-line defenseman for them next year. He's a 22-year-old puck mover, left-handed shot. NHL already in the show has been playing at a pretty high level off and on with the Leafs and has a chance to be a really, really good player for them. Loved this trade. Two second-round picks, two third-round picks, and Craig Smith. So they've got Sandin, who's a really good young NHL player who's already here. Two seconds, two thirds, and Smith, who's probably not going to be And around. he's an uh, expiring contract as well, I believe, right? Exactly. Yeah. Not really a fixture. He did play for LaViolette, so I guess if LaViolette hangs, maybe he'd advocate to bring him back because they were together in, in Nashville at one point in time. But four picks, Sandin, for the sell-off is just the guys who are very likely leaving in free agency. And if you really want to make the case that any one of these guys that I just named should be here next year, they can try to re-sign any of them. Yep. I wouldn't necessarily, for the record, but they could. And in the meantime, you have gotten yourself a really good young defenseman who's controllable for draft picks to help with this reload. They're not going to take a sledgehammer to this, nor should they, but they are taking a pick, so to speak, and kind of scribbling around the core. I love what they're doing. I've been very, very happy with McClellan's last two weeks. So they've also, you know, before this, I don't, not teardown's not the right word. What do you want to call it? Restructuring? What's what's a good term for this? Uh, this is a reload. Reload, yeah. Before the reload, re-signed Dylan Strom, signed uh, uh, Sonny Milano to an extension, signed Nick Jensen, who, whom you mentioned just now, to an extension that as well. That was last night. Yeah. Three years, $12 million for Jensen, right around $4 million per. If it feels a little steep, I understand that. This goes back to just sports economics now. This is what it costs. If you got yourself a defenseman who can skate, who can move the puck a little bit, who's coming off of, by the way, this year, a career high in points again, the last two years here in Washington, right-handed shot, this is the, the going rate for a top-four defenseman, which is what he's been and will be here in Washington. So looking ahead defensively, Carlson has not played since he took the puck off the face, remember? Yep. But next year, under contract, you've got Carlson and presumably Faravari, uh, Faravari as your right and left-handed shots on your top defensive pair. You'd have Jensen and Sandine, and then I would imagine their former first-round pick, uh, Alexiev, and maybe TVR if they re-up with him, who I wouldn't be surprised if they re-signed like they did Jensen on the cheap here in the next couple of days. But 
you can start to see the vision coming together. Yep. They're going to have some flexibility and some money for the first time in a while. I do just want to say really quickly, thank you, Lars. That guy scored, in my opinion, the most important goal in team history when in a tie game in overtime of game three of the opening round of 2018 playoffs, it was his leg that the puck bounces off of for a dirty goal where he's just fighting his butt off in the crease that wins the game for the Capitals. They're down 2-1 in the series that they come back to win. They lose that game, and it's 3-0. They're eliminated moments later. Instead, they win that series. They go on the cup run. And it was Lars Eller, by the way, who scored the game-winning goal in Game 5, the clincher of the Stanley Cup. So thank you for the memories. Here, here. I didn't love seeing everyone crushing and bashing him the last few weeks, desperate to get him out of here. I understand the sell-off is good, but let's show some respect for a dude who is one of the most important players of that cup run. I think two things can be true. One, what you just said, hugely critical. I mean, beyond critical. Obviously, game-winning goal in in a Stanley Cup winning game will do it for you. That's immortality. The goal against Columbus, incredible play, stepping up multiple times with Nick Backstrom injured in that Pittsburgh series, uh, in that Tampa Bay series. I thought he was really good. Really hugely important. I also think his play fell off um, for them here over the last couple of years. There was kind of a decline. There's no doubt. So, right thing to do, but at the same time, I love the idea of, yes, the, the, the end wasn't what we all wanted, but instrumental in, you know, the trophy, the Stanley Cup parade, please and thank you. We spent so much time yesterday on the Dan Snyder news and the possibility that he's in legal trouble now and actually being investigated for a possible crime that we didn't really get to talk about Deron Payne at all. Deron Payne, yesterday morning, was informed by the commanders that they have placed the franchise tag on him. They didn't have to do it yet. In fact, the deadline to place the tag on a player is not for another six days next Tuesday, but Washington has already decided to place the tag and send in the paperwork on Payne. It's a non-exclusive tag, which means they will pay him $18.9 million fully guaranteed this year. So quick refresher course, mm-hmm. what is the franchise tag? The franchise tag is a way for the teams to keep a player that doesn't necessarily want to sign a long-term deal. You can keep that player for one year, but every penny that they make is fully guaranteed. Uh And you're paying them the average sum of the top five highest paid players at their position. So that's where you get to the $19 million number for Deron Payne because that's where the defensive tackle market is now. You know this because John Allen's making just a little bit more than that as one of the highest paid players at the position in the league. So what happens is you have until this deadline, which is six days from now, to use the tag on him. No other team has done this except Washington with Payne yet. Ron Rivera yesterday came out and said the reason they did it so quick in the window to place the tag on him was to show commitment and the interest that they want to keep him around. I thought that was I, – I, my right hand went to my head, and I scratched it when I heard that. I didn't, I didn't understand that exactly. What did your left hand do? Did well, it go up? No, it stayed down, very mm-hmm. down. It should always stay down. We shouldn't be doing that. I didn't understand that exactly. The commitment, it, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, I, the, the way it looks to me is we don't think we're getting a long-term deal done and we're never really going to try. We're going to the franchise tag and putting this to bed. Can I explain to you why it didn't make sense to you? Because it makes no sense. See, commitment yeah. means long-term contract. Interesting. And for the record, a commitment. I'm on team don't give him a long-term contract. I would long-term. not pay him four years at $20 million. But tagging him and commitment are... Not working in unison. No, they're not. Right? They're in opposites. In a way? That is a one-year rental. This is what Washington did with Cousins in 16 and 17. 
and subsequently with Sheriff in 2020 and 2021. And those guys are still here. You'll remember that neither of them eventually signed long-term deals to your point. Oh, right, yeah. But uh, the commanders and Payne have until July 15th to negotiate a long-term deal now, which from what I've been told is unlikely. We'll see if we get shocked. But I've been told that is not expected to happen, really, from either side. Part of why I think they already put They just went and did it, yeah. Uh, because they know that's where this is ending. Here is the most fascinating part of what's going on with Payne, though. So your options are Payne plays out the year on the tag. I guess, theoretically, Payne sits out, doesn't show up, refuses to play on the tag. That's really, really hard to do in the new CBA. And frankly, I don't think anybody's going to do that anymore. But I suppose Payne could Sean Gilbert this thing, so to speak. Here's the other possibility, though. The commanders could work on a trade and try to now move Deron Payne for it doesn't have to be the two ones. Everyone thinks you have to trade a guy for two first-round picks after you tag them. That's only if the player goes out and signs a contract with another team, like a sign-and-trade. Mm-hmm. So in other words, right now, Deron Payne, like every other free agent, has to wait for the league year. But as of March 15th, or the day before in that legal tampering period, if the Bears come to he and his agent and say, we'll give you four years and, and $96 million or whatever, and let's say he wants to take that, he's allowed to agree to that contract with Chicago. The Bears, for the right to pay him that, assuming the commanders don't want to match it, just have to give the commanders two first-round picks. The point is, no one's going to do that because right. this is a defensive tackle. No one's giving up two ones. So you can all but cross that out with Sharpie. But the possibility of a trade is not pain found, but team found. The commanders can pick up the phone, call around, and come to an agreement that wouldn't be two first-round picks. I'm just going to throw something out there. A Wentzian two into three, let's uh-huh. say, from the Falcons, who tried to trade for him last year, according to my sources, or the Bears. They, they could call those teams, try to get this deal in place, get a couple draft picks, and move him. I don't think that's what fans want. I'm just telling you that that is a possibility. I just don't see this group doing that. And may, and maybe that's – maybe I'm I'm too cynical. I think there's too much we've got to do this for right now. Whereas long term for the for you know for the making something good for two, three, four, five years down the line will probably include trading him. That's that's the best thing to do. Because if you're gonna lose him, get something out of him. But they want to do well this year, right? This regime would like some positive results beyond maybe an eight, eight and one season. They want to take that step forward that Ron promised this past year. And that would include Deron Payne because Deron Payne's better than the alternative. He's better than the future second round pick, probably that you're going to get, or a third rounder, or or Fedarian Mathis coming off an injury or otherwise. So he's a really good player. That's why, by the way, if you're not going to keep him long term, you should trade him. It's a mistake they've always kind of made thinking short. If you've got a nice player that you don't want to pay a long term deal to, you should trade him. But they don't do that because each regime always needs to look up to the you know the golden office and say, look at all the improvement we made. Please keep let me keep my job or give me an extension, et cetera. I just don't see them moving him, but they could, I suppose. If I had to bet, I think I would be with you. It doesn't seem like it is in their playbook necessarily. It's what I would do. I'm with you, though. I don't think they will, but I'm not going to rule it out. Mm. Next on Grant and Danny, the Wizards won last night. By the way, Brad Beal was tremendous. Great in the fourth quarter, which is a weird sentence. Apparently, all season. If you look at the numbers, statistically, he has been fantastic late in games. Now, those numbers don't include turnovers, where he turns the ball over all the time. However, when he doesn't turn the ball over and he gets a shot off, he makes it a lot of the time. Like, he's been way more, I'll use this sports term here. Go ahead. Clutch. Oh! 
Whoa, get the audio. We're probably giving him credit for. Also, Ron Rivera, two newsworthy comments from the Combine over the last 24 hours. One on Sam Howell and the other on Washington's offense and what he expects from it. And it sounds nothing like what you think his vision for this offense sounds like. You will hear what he had to say next right here on G&D, live on The Fan. Dejounte Beal inside the three-point line and hits nothing but net. Here's Beal now trying to get downhill. Step back, step through, and good. You know they got a couple figures and you kind of chip away at it. And they got only a straight stretch lead a little bit uh, more, but we just never quit. You know, and to your point, we got contributions from everybody and in the game. Obviously, Brad steps up big, makes plays on both ends. That was Wes Unseld talking about Bradley Beal after a Wizards win when Beal came up huge down the stretch last night. Welcome back, Grant and Danny on the fan. Beal in the clutch this season, 90 points over four points per game, number two in the NBA behind De'Aaron Fox. How about it? You look at scoring close and tight games, usage, his offensive and defensive rating, the net, I mean, he ranks really high in the association right now. I give him a lot of credit for that because that's long been an issue, not only that we've had with him, but I think that he's taken heat for in D.C. I still don't really trust him to not turn the ball over in those spots. These metrics have a lot more to do with, I would say, how he's shooting and if he's knocking the shots down. But this is progressive, and this is a good sign, and credit where it's due. Last night, they needed him to be huge late, and he was, again. When defenses can't just load up, because for a while, when he's – you know, playmaking, taking every shot, running the ball up the court, et cetera. Everyone knew where it was going, and they could do that. You can't cheat off of Kyle Kuzma and Porzingis when he's in the lineup. Having the other team, his other teammates contribute in a bunch of different ways, pretty balanced scoring last night. You got a chance for a big win. That was a pretty big win for them on the road. Yesterday, Ron Rivera was at the Combine. He just did his media tour at Radio Row for the Super Bowl, and he did a few interviews at the Combine yesterday as well, aside from just your normal standing at the podium stuff that every coach does, and he was on CBS Sports' TV show with Jonathan Jones, who I think covered him in Charlotte. This is a guy that gets some Uh news about the commanders occasionally, but Jones was asking him about the vision for Washington's offense, among other things. Uh, Here's how that conversation sounded at the Combine yesterday. Well, the biggest thing is, you know, as, as I was made to change, my biggest thought was, okay, I wanted to see about a little bit of what they were doing. I, I started watching tape on them, and then when the game started to play out, I started watching those things, and I kept thinking, God, we got five guys on offense, five playmakers, that we can do those things. You know, we feel good about who our receiving core is. We like our tight end position, and we got some dynamic backs. Now let's see about if we can get them into the ball into their hands a lot quicker, uh, a little sooner in terms of the style of offense they were playing in Kansas City. And that was why Eric Bieniemy. But then he was asked right after that, what is your vision for the offense? And I actually think this is the more interesting cut that will play for you. Because remember the whole point that they're going to be run dominant, and oh, run yeah. first, and it's even going to be two to one at times. It almost sounds like he asked Jonathan Jones to ask him the question. I don't think he did. Jones probably, just knowing Ron and liking him was throwing him a softball and going, hey, everyone thinks you want to run it so much, but you hired Eric Bieniemy, maybe not. But here's what Rivera said. Well, the biggest thing more than anything else is, you know, you want balance on the offensive side. You know, you want to be able to run the ball successfully, and if you are, continue to do that. If you're not, maybe you have to go some play action. You may have to go some drop back. But 
or you come out throwing it, it sets up the run, great. But what we want to do is we want to use the skill sets of our playmakers and we want to put the balls in their hand, okay? And what you want to do is you want to score as much as you can going into the fourth quarter. You got that lead. Now you become that two-to-one. Now you grind it out. You go into your four-minute offense a little bit early. You know, you grind it down, you score again, and you pretty much seal the game. That's what we're looking for. I mean, again, the misnomer being is, yeah, do you want to be two-to-one? Yes, but you got to be balanced to be able to score points. Get in that fourth quarter. Now you grind it. Now you take you, you know you take the, you, you take their their will away from them by running the ball when you know they know you have to. Danny, like that answer a lot better. There you go, Ron. That's way better. Now you're understanding it. This sounds more like the newer school analytical philosophy of throw to score, run to win, which has been an adage and an axiom around football for years now. That a lot of teams, not all teams, not this one necessarily, but a lot of teams do subscribe to. Throw to take the lead, run to put the game away. And you heard him say you could even throw to set up the run. His point is, we want to be able to do both. Well, no kidding. Everyone wants to do both. But that sounded very different than we're going to run two-thirds of the time or we're going to be run first. Establish the run, et cetera. The the, the outdated uh, nomenclature. Sports, and especially a game like the NFL, is about advantages. Right, It's about having something that they can't stop. And if they're going to try to stop it, they have to account for it, which should open other things up. In other words, having an elite weapon isn't just good just to have. You have it so that, A, they can make plays for you, but, B, the defense is so afraid of the terrifying thing, be it Tyreek Hill going deep or Deshaun uh, Jackson years ago, that it opens everybody else up. Your advantage every time you line up and these guys are healthy and available for the commanders is what on offense? I got a, it ain't Brian Robinson. Wide it's not Antonio Gibson. It's those three wide receivers that are interchangeable. One of whom is going to be on the show in 25 minutes. We Damn got right. Jahan Dotson with us today at three. But to your point, if you are any good as a coordinator, and we think that the enemy is, what you should do on your first day on the job after you get hired is say, where is the strength of this team? Where do I have a mismatch? Where do I have an advantage? And you'll really quickly decide, McLaurin out there. I'm looking the other way now. Mm-hmm. Dotson out there and Samuel somewhere in between the two should happen on every single play. I think to the Giants. I think to Brian Dable. Yep. They had no weapons last year on the outside. Nothing. Some guy named Isaiah Hodgins running a bunch of slant routes and crossers became their number one wide receiver effectively. By the end of the year going like six for 60 each week. They didn't have weapons. Their offense became hard to defend. Their team won double-digit games. They made the playoffs. But you know why? Because Brian Dable looked at that offense and said, what can we do that is going to give a defensive coordinator problems? And he decided Daniel Jones is going to run. That's the one thing we got right now. Between Saquon Barkley making some plays in space and Daniel Jones running, we might have something. So they just turned that knob up to 11, Danny. Now, it's not automatically that everybody has to drop back and pass every time. Whatever your advantage is, you press that advantage. If I'm coaching the Baltimore Ravens, I'm not throwing it 50 times. My quarterback, when he's healthy, ran for you know 1,100 yards on his way to an MVP with double-digit touchdowns. Lamar Jackson's great. He should run the ball. If I'm Tennessee with, um, uh, with Derrick Henry in his prime, I'm going to hand it off to him a lot, probably more than most teams should run the football. Whatever your advantage is, you press that. 
And for so many years, you saw this in Washington uh, for so long. Think back to when Chris Cooley and Fred Davis were on this team, for example. It always used to drive me crazy. They couldn't figure out how to get both guys on the field or both guys the football in packages and formations. Do that. The, the, the New England Patriots figured it out. I know one of the guys you know, wasn't that great to do it off the field, but on it, that double tight end situation, they were dominating people with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. Absolutely. Whatever your advantage is, you press it. They have lucked into the fact that they have three excellent receivers. Their top three, I don't know that any, any one of those guys belongs in a top five or six or seven or eight, maybe even ten type conversation. I have to sit down and, and write it out. Maybe McLaurin does. But their three, their depth, that's better than anybody else's group of three. I'll take them over anybody else's, even Cincinnati, who's excellent at wide receiver, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Boyd. I'll take this group of three and their skill set and some of the different things they can do over anybody else's, maybe save a team or two. That's your advantage every week. You press that until somebody stops you. I'll be honest with you. I'm not even sure if what Rivera has to say about the offense matters much to me right now or anymore. Because if this thing's done properly, what he thinks is about as important as what you think. Mm. Now, that isn't to say as the head coach or the team president of VP of football ops, whatever title he holds on his business card, running the whole show in this coach-centric approach, that obviously he's going to have some say on everything that happens. But really, he should be asking Eric Bieniemy questions and allowing Bieniemy to answer them. It'd be nice to hear Bieniemy's vision more so than Ron Rivera's. But that was one of the couple of comments that came out from his talking at the Combine that made the rounds. The other was from his presser yesterday. And this was late morning. Frankly, this would have gotten a lot of run on the show if not for everything going on with Dan Snyder. I don't think he quite walked back what he has said about Sam Howell, but this did raise some eyebrows in town about the plan moving forward with Howell as the starting quarterback. This is Rivera with reporters yesterday in his big press conference in Indianapolis. Them getting the opportunity against Dallas. Um, you know, I thought he came out and played the type of game that you're looking for as far as the quarterback's concerned. Um, he's got a tremendous skill set, got a good arm, the kind of arm that you do look for. Um, that's, that's one of the things. And, again, um, he's not our starter. He's coming in as a QB1. He'll get, he'll get, he'll get an, a great opportunity to be our starter. Um, but we do want to find a veteran uh, quarterback. You know, we have Taylor Heineke that's a free agent. that We've got to work through that as well, and then we'll see what happens from there. He's not our starter. He's coming in as QB1. Great opportunity to be our starter. So, just trying to make sense of that. He's saying, as of right now, he hasn't been named starter. He's going to get the first chance at it, and he has a really good chance to become the starter. Why do you guys think it is so important for Rivera to, almost at the risk of double talk at times, between one interview to the next, routinely state that Sam Howell is probably the guy but not actually name him the guy. If you're going to keep saying he's QB1, if you're going to keep saying he gets the first crack at this, if you're going to go on the record to say why you believe in him and how much you like him, why shouldn't he just name him the starter? Like, What do you think is holding him back? And do you like the fact that he isn't right now coming out to say how's the starter? Because typically, Danny, I would say, don't do that. But I also don't think necessarily, if you're not willing to say that, that you'd keep calling him QB1, whatever that means. Some weird term that is like thrown around by dudes who hang out in Arlington. QB one, but not the starter, huh? So, so he's first. 
at the start of the game, who goes onto the field first? The guy, you know, what I mean? like it's it is weird. It, to me, it's it's this diehard coach speak thing that he can't escape. That he's just trying to portray the illusion of everything's a competition. Every guy, all fifty-three. I bet you John Allen starts. You know, I bet you Montez Sweat starts. I, I you believe know? that he is trying to do a around here. We earn everything. Nothing's given to you. Uh huh. Kind of tough guy thing. Yep. That's what I'm getting out that's of my, That's my smell but test. Do you guys think it's odd at all that he's willing to call him QB1 and say that he's going into camp the guy, but he won't say he's the starter? And what do you think is the difference between those couple of things? We'll obviously be asking Jahan Dotson about Sam Howell when he joins us at 3 o'clock. Grant and Danny with you on the fan. Also, Aaron Rodgers has emerged from his darkness retreat. Did he bring with him any answers out of the darkness? That's next. Alongside Danny Ruye, I'm Grant Paulson. You are listening to The Fan. Double play coming up in one hour at 345. We'll discuss Danny's lunch today. It it made uh, some headlines here at the radio station. Just a lunch. But everybody's making a big deal about it. It it was not just a lunch. It was just a couple of lunches. Well, it's all gone. I just ate my lunch. You had yourself a meal or two. I asked if anybody wanted lunch. Everyone said no. I just went and got my own and caused some hysterics around here. An epic feast of sorts. Kevin's in Arlington wants to hop in on what we were just discussing with Sam Howell and uh, the take from Ron Rivera at the Combine. He has pretty much been calling him the projected starter, the likely starter all offseason. But there is some semantics at play here because he has on a couple of occasions said, well, he's not the starter now. Remember, we haven't named him the starter we're just naming him QB1. He's just the guy this offseason who's going to get the first crack at this thing, and we're going to see if he can earn it. Why do you think he's so desperate to create this illusion, it sounds like, that they haven't decided to go forward with him? Or do you think this is a hedge because there's a possibility if something better comes along, they'll pounce on that? Yeah, it's it's not locking yourself in, not, not typing it in stone. I'm at Funny Danny on Twitter, Grant's at Grant H. Paulson. Just got a tweet here that I thought was interesting. I, I pass it on to you. Placing my tinfoil hat on once again, perhaps Ron is so weary of how hard he defended and signed off on Wentz as the starter last year, he's hesitant to call how the official starter gives him a media out, kind of like a, a, a mental gymnastics. I never said he was the unquestioned starter sort of thing. Because remember last year, this was Carson Wentz and everybody. He was so proud and puffing his chest out, saying this, that, and the other. Now you're not doing that. Now we're we're talking about a future conversation. We're all talking about Hal, but we're not going to hold his feet to the fire of Hal maybe struggles a little bit. I wonder if there's something to that. Very possible. I just believe that he thinks if he names him the starter, he's going to get crushed. Either by way of people saying, how can you possibly name Sam Hal the starter when all he's ever done is throw 20 passes? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of already happening nationally. So who cares? Right. And I would also just say in general, if you're a coach of a team, who cares anyway? I do believe he cares a lot more about what people say than the average coach does, and I think then a coach should, to be completely frank. That having been said, he should not worry at all about what anyone would say about him naming Sam Howell the starter if he thinks Howell is the guy. But the idea that there's a difference between QB1 and starter and he's going to have to earn it, I go back to what we were talking about. This is one of those, like, I'm a head football coach at a local high school I'm over at Annandale or something, and when I look up on the wall, it says, no jobs given, jobs are earned. 
you know, that kind of thing. And it's just such a tough guy, like you're giving a speech and you're going to walk into the room on the first day and say, there's 53 jobs on the line today here, man. Nobody, this is a meritocracy. Nobody's been given anything. And if you've been saying all offseason that Sam Howell's the starter, there's some hypocrisy to that. So you can kind of pretend that he has to earn it. We'll know based on who they bring in here, though. If you bring in yeah, Jacoby right. Brissett or Tyrod Taylor or Marcus Mariota or some backup making $5 million a year, congratulations, Sam Howell. You don't have to earn much. If you go get, I'm just going to throw a name out there, but like Dalton, who started most of last year, or uh, if Heineke's back even, who started the majority of the last two seasons, mm-hmm. or lo and behold, you actually go get a veteran who might be able to start, not quite on the Derek Carr level, but let's say, you know, someone who's kicking around as as a fringe 1A, now there's a competition. So their actions will tell us what they actually think. Kevin's in Arlington. What's up, buddy? Hey, fellas. So when it comes to messaging, uh, and Sandik's been at this a little bit, I don't know if there's anyone more reactionary and more um, evolving in his messaging, if you will, I'm trying to say it nicely, than Rivera. Because let's not forget, in eight days, he went from, Wentz is going to give us the spark. Heineke starting the next game. Hal starting the final game. <laughs> and then Hal's QB1. So, you know, again, who knows what's really happening, but I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for a couple reasons. One, I think that the enemy hire, what he was observing during the postseason, et cetera, I think that it creates potential uh, changes in their thinking about the quarterback room. What was really interesting about that quote, you, you, the sound you played on him from yesterday is he indicated what you all just said about how being QB1, not necessarily a starter, we need to get a veteran, and we need to also you know, go through the Heineke. So it's kind of interesting. Is he talking about potentially getting a veteran and also having Heineke? Or, or, or is Heineke that veteran? You know, I took that as Heineke could be the veteran. Right, that's how I thought it was the competition or the backup or what have you. But based on them, I don't think having the money and also the fact that they want to go on a rookie contract. And lastly, that they're intrigued by how I would just make the case: Sam Howell's going to be the guy. They can call it whatever they want. They can use whatever terminology. The road's they want. pretty clear for him. It just looks like the path has been cleared here. Let's ask Jahan Dotson about Sam Howell. The stud young wide receiver is going to join us. Next, right here on Grant and Danny on The Fan. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.